Hello, and welcome to season two of our Parallel Paths, a future for my loved one with a disability and for me. I'm your host, Dr. Geraldine Arango Dealey, Jerry. And this podcast is about just what the title says the parallel paths of family members, certainly parents, sometimes siblings as parents age or pass on, and their loved ones with intellectual disabilities. I'm a parent myself, and I have questions. Our Parallel Paths is about creating a promising future for our adult family members with an intellectual disability and a promising future for ourselves as we evolve alongside them. There's more than one path, more than one future to talk about, and that's why we're here. Some remarkable people share their stories on our Parallel Paths, and I really always, always hope that the stories resonate with you and give you ideas and hope for your future. I am so excited to introduce today's guest, Eric Gall, a friend, actually Darcy Elks. Remember Darcy from season one? Darcy told me about Empowering Ability, which is Eric's website, and the guides, the podcasts, the webinars, the videos that are available to all of us on the site. So I checked it out, and Darcy was right. EmpoweringAbility.org is a tremendous resource for helping families to support their loved ones in building what Eric calls an awesome, ordinary life. I'd like one of those myself. Eric is a sibling. He is Sarah's brother. And so as I read through his bio on the Empowering Ability website, I, I found that I wanted to connect Eric with us here on our parallel paths because Eric's on this journey too. I wanted to learn more about Eric's awesome, ordinary life, as well as Sarah's. I'm curious about Eric's backstory, since it seems like Sarah and Eric are kind of creating awesome, ordinary lives for each other. So welcome, Eric. How are you today? Hey, Jerry. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for the amazing introduction. I feel like I need to take you around whenever I'm, you know, doing any talking or anything to, <laughs> to have you introduce me. So thank you so, so much. That was amazing. I'll be your, your, your spokesmodel. Um, well, here's the thing. Um, hearing the sibling perspective is so important for parents like me and for other siblings like yourself. And so I'm so glad that what you chose to talk about, sibling perspectives, about out of all the possible uh, topics that I offered you, I'm really glad you decided on that because I'm curious to, to start, what do you think is the importance of the sibling voice? Um, is it one we're hearing enough? And what do we need to hear? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't, you know, when we talk about people that have developmental disabilities, we're either talking about, you know, those people and self-advocates or, or usually it's mom, right? Like <laughs> mom's usually the one that's, um, you know, helping to, to lead the pathway forward. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of siblings that are interested in the conversation, maybe that want to have the conversation, but not sure, um, maybe how to have the conversation, uh, who who to have the conversation with, even if it's our own family. Um, and I don't think it's very obvious um, for a lot of siblings on how to, maybe how to get involved, uh, especially when, you know, uh, mom or dad or, you know, parents are, are super involved in, in leading the way. It can be challenging to uh, to enter into some of those conversations. 
Okay. Um, was it for you, was it sort of assumed that you were going to take on the role of supporting Sarah or is that something you kind of fell into? Tell me a little about Sarah and you. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah's um, my older sister. Um, and yeah, I think in my family, it was kind of unspoken for a long time. Like it's just me and my sister, right? So um, there's just two of us. Um, so no other, other siblings. So I guess my parents kind of sort of had some conversations with me in my late teens. Like my parents were redoing their will and they're like, who do we put down as, you know, executor and those sorts of things. And like, you know, even I was, you know, I think teenagers is like pretty young to be put in that uh, mm -hmm. role or position. Right. But um, I, my, I ended up in, in that role and um, my parents kind of had the con a conversation with me at that point in time. And, you know, they had made that decision, right. I wasn't really involved in, in that decision. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, there wasn't a lot of conversation about it. And then, um, you know, I think the conversation picked up again when I was in my late twenties, when my sister, um, and my mom kind of had enough of each other. And my mom was just really uh, physically and, and emotionally uh, and mentally burnt out and couldn't provide the care that she had been providing for my sister mm -hmm. any longer. And that was in 2015. Okay. And, and how old was um, Sarah at that point? So she would have been like early thirties. Early thirties. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a while then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there had been a good 10 years where my sister was, you know, had, finished school and was at home and, you know, spent most of her time at home and my mom and my sister, you know, spending a ton of time together. And, um, you know, my mom kind of just broke down and she called me one day when I was at work, you know, like in the afternoon, I was like, okay, it's a little weird that my mom's calling me right now, but I answered the phone and I'm like, Hey mom, what's up? And the first thing that she says to me, is she says, I can't do it anymore. And I knew like, like I felt my stomach drop, right? I knew intuitively yeah. what she meant. And I was like, well, what do you mean, mom? And she's like, Sarah has to move out. Like, I, I can't do it. And, um, and that was when I felt like, okay, I need to make a decision, right? Do I kind of continue on the path that I'm on just focusing on me, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, young 20s, I was focused on career, friends, you know, sure. girlfriend, those sorts of things. Uh -huh. um, and not super involved with kind of my sister and, and family life. Like, you know, I was kind of like sibling relationship, but nothing more than that. Okay. And then, um, yeah, so I had to make a decision, right? Like I saw my mom struggling, my sister struggling, and it was, do I want to get involved in a different way? And I made the decision to do that just because, um, yeah, my family was in, in bad shape at that point in time. Okay. Okay. Wow. So, um, and what line of work were you in at that point? Yeah. So at that point in time, I was working for a small tech company doing like sales and marketing. Um, so I had done like a variety of jobs, just trying things out, I suppose. Um, but mostly in like, I don't know, kind of business operations, that sort of thing. So there was a lot of learning that I had to do <laughs> in order to help my family and, uh, and move forward. So, I mean, I feel like part of the sales and marketing, um, of a product would be a, was something that you were able to harness, but you still had all this other sort of disability stuff to learn, yeah. uh, Canadian style, cause you're in Canada, but, um, 
it feels like you do you feel like you brought some of what you knew and yeah for sure for sure like you know I think everything I've learned along the way through different jobs has been transferable in in different ways and um you know I think like the sales and marketing piece has helped me to further reach families um and to uh create a bigger impact that way so it's been really helpful um but on kind of you know in the field of developmental disability and learning best practices like that was a I had to go do a lot of learning around that and started with you know applying what I was learning with my family and then kind of from there going further beyond that but um yeah and I, I think like the approach that I that I take now with families is um you know it's applicable really anywhere in the world because it comes from the social model of disability mm -hmm. rather than just looking at well what are your you know local supports and resources so it's think it's it's kind of bigger level thinking and then it's and then you kind of go to okay how can you leverage what's what's available locally so for our listeners can you talk a little bit about that social model of disability not everybody is familiar with that term yeah so what do I mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> so it's just thinking about um, what are the most important things in in our life? And what are those, uh, I guess, kind of life domains? So when I work with, you know, when I started working with my sister, we we're thinking about, um, you know, capability to start off with. And I think often as families, we talk about independence. And kind of, I kind of use those words interchangeably, but how can we support Sarah to grow her capability? Because people with developmental disabilities are vastly underestimated. I agree. <laughs> right? <laughs> so how can we, how can we support them? How can we, you know, how can we support Sarah to grow? Right. Um, and a lot of that was thinking about our family unit and how do we change? Because we're, we were actually the ones holding my sister back. Right. Because, you know, I think often we just do too much for our loved one and don't give them the opportunity to try and the support to uh, to try and to make so, mistakes like everybody else does. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, you know, fall down, scrape your knee. And then mm -hmm. what can you learn by yeah. going through that process? Right. So. um, So, you know, you don't need to necessarily, you know, uh, you know, that's not about getting more paid support. Yeah, kind of like your family unit and. Um, you know, the interactions that are happening within, within your family. Um, and then it's looking at, uh, you know, I guess kind of that's where I'm trying to get at in terms of the social, the social angle. And then the other, the other really key piece for, for all of us, and especially true for people developing disabilities is relationships, right? So there's, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the research study, but it looked at, um, somebody that, uh, you know, that I've had on my podcast a couple of times, Al Condalusi talks about this yes. study often. I think he was involved in it. Um, some of your listeners are maybe familiar with Al. I know that name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So through a conversation with, with Al, um, he was sharing this research study he was involved with. And they, what they found was that people with developmental disabilities have one sixth the amount of social connection compared to and the kind of typical person. So it looks like, you know, on average about 25 relationships um, for a person with developmental disability compared to 150 of kind of the average uh, person in, in society. 
Mm-hmm. So a, de- a real deficit of, of relationship. Um, so, you know, one of the things that when we talk about this kind of social model of disability, it's how do we intentionally support people with developmental disabilities to build more relationships um, and in non-paid ways, right? Maybe there's some paid mm-hmm. support that helps to build those relationships, but we're not paying people <laughs> to be Correct. friends with our loved ones. Correct. Right? They are paid to do that. And that's wonderful. But that cannot be the only relationship, no matter how much they love the person. When the paycheck goes, so do they. Yes, exactly. Right. And then and then that often leaves a big hole, mm-hmm. right, in, in our loved one's live life and trauma often, right? They're like, well, where did my friend go? They did they yeah. didn't even say bye. Mm-hmm. Right. I hear uh, you. I've experienced it so many times with Nick that it's like, no, 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 this is great, but these folks, I love you all, but you're paid. And so we have to keep working on this piece. And in adulthood, I mean, it's been my experience that, you know, the social connections are harder. Um, so there's not school contexts and things like that. So a person who might've been struggling with this in school might struggle even more. And in like Nick's case, I'm kind of the caterer and the, and the planner and, you know, we have to do all those things, but it's, it is for, it's real, it's a real need. And so we have to be able to value the fact that it's not just paid support is great, but it's not friendship and it's not relationship. Yes, exactly. But it's also a bit more work, you know? Yeah, yeah. So those are, that was a really long way of answering your question. Like what is the social model of disability, but just some like tangible examples of of what it looks like. Yeah, relationship wise, relationships. Um, And so, when, so you started thinking about supporting Sarah at this, this pivotal moment when your mom was just, was crashing. And so kind of, what was the first, the first thing, do you remember what was the first thing that you did? Yeah. Well, all that I knew at that point in time was that people with developmental disabilities, when they're not living at home, they live in a group home. That's what I knew at that time. So we actually went down that route. Um, so where I live in um, the province of Ontario in, in Canada, um, there is much more supply or sorry, much more demand than supply. So there's a lot more people with developmental disabilities than there are group homes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like a 20 year, 25 year, 30 year so-called wait list, but it's actually a crisis list because that's so different than America, than the States truly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's most places in the world. It's, it's like that. Right. So, um, you know, we thought the, you know, so-called government or social system was going to have our back and there was no support there. And, um, so once that was ruled out as an option, it was like, okay, well, what, what else do we, you know, what other options are there? And, um, I, we're fortunate that we had a, a family friend that that I'd known for a really long time. My parents had known for a long time. They had they had two kids with developmental disabilities, and they had been pretty engaged in a you know in networking with other families and and whatnot. And I had a conversation with um, with the mom, and she's like, "Well, Eric, you need to talk to this person, this person, and this person." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so that oh. set me on a mission, right? Okay. Um, so. And, you know, super fortunate those people were open to talking with me, um, you know, you know, so first few people I talked to were Janet Cleese. I don't know if you know these people or not, but Janet Cleese, um, 
who's been a huge mentor to me um, at Durham Family Resources, uh, Michael Kendrick, um, who's another been a, another person who's been a, a really big mentor to me. Um, and they're like, well, there's this whole other option, Eric, um, of helping of, of a person having their own life of well, what would it look like for your sister to have her own home? Um, you know, and maybe she lives with, you know, a neurotypical roommate, right? And I was like, huh, okay. What, what could that look like? Um, and then, you know, just spending more time with them, having starting a podcast to get more access to, uh -huh. to thinkers um, and to people that had been supporting people on a more kind of ordinary um, or, you know, if we want to call it progressive path. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just kind of continuing my learning now, there, going to different workshops. And, um, and then, you know, going back to that family, that I mentioned the, the family friends that had two loved ones with developmental disabilities, they were on that ordinary path. So they were a great kind of example to look to where, um, you know, their son had a home of his own with a neurotypical roommate. He'd had a support circle for, I don't know, like, I guess now it's going on close to like 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but I had actually been a part of his support circle. And for whatever reason, it didn't, I didn't realize it that, that that type of life was available to my sister until we were in this, you know, uh, kind of dire situation. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, so you went from kind of not really being involved at all, not knowing much at all, and really had this steep learning curve, yeah. but it, you also managed to, to par parlay it into something bigger, which is neat. Cause I mean, in some ways, as you're helping Sarah have her awesome ordinary life, it's kind of creating an awesome ordinary life for you too. And yeah. so, you know, what is, what do you wish, what, what does that even mean to you? I, I, or do you see that? I mean, that, that jumped out at me. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think about it, I feel like I've, I've been able to be on that kind of awesome ordinary life path pretty much all of my life because I've had access to those ordinary opportunities. Whereas if I look at my sister's life path, she has not always had access to those ordinary opportunities, right? So the school system pushed her into a, you know, uh, I'm going to put this in air quotes, special needs yep. classroom, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, my parents felt like the only option for her was, you know, to go to things like a day program or the, you know, on that special path, right. Um, where, you know, no one said I had to go on a, you know, a special path or, a you know, a, a path that was different than everybody else. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've had the privilege of, um, of having a lot more opportunity, more access. And I think, you know, as a sibling, I might not have acknowledged that, um, you know, up until maybe 30 years, like, you know, my late twenties, when I started doing this learning around developmental disability, but, um, you know, I think it was there under the surface. And I, I think that's there for many siblings feeling a little bit of guilt of, it could show up as guilt. It could show up as other emotions, but, you know, well, I'm doing all these, you know, have opportunity to do all these amazing things. And my loved one or my, my sibling is at home, right. Or they're, yeah. you know, you know, 
don't have the same opportunities. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, in all of this, we asked the question that since it's our parallel paths, what, what brings you strength? How do you take care of you? How do you stay strong as you're, you've, you know, got this tremendous project, this empoweringability.org with all the good stuff. Plus you're supporting your, your sister. How's mom doing? How do you stay strong? How do you, what brings you strength? Who brings you strength? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's, I mean, I think all, I, you know, I think it's, again, a lot of the time when I work with families, it's, it's mom, right? So mom's feeling kind of, I guess, more of the stress, more of the emotions in, involved with, um, with, uh, with our loved ones. Um, I think for me kind of going through it with my mom, with my sister for those maybe first four or five years to help my sister, you know, eventually move out of mom and dad's place. And my sister actually moved in with me for two years. Mm -hmm. So that was a whole learning experience. And then, um, after those two years, my sister, um, moved into her own place, but, um, going through all of that, I, I think was, um, I mean, I learned a ton, um, learned a lot more about my sister and my mom, but that was really hard. So I think, for me going through it, a big part of it was helping to bring more people in around my sister. So supporting my sister to start her, um, support circle and, and, uh, engaging kind of intentionally engaging more people around my sister. Um, and then getting the right types of supports, um, in place as well, um, around my sister. So around, you know, personal care, but also a big thing for me, like, a, ch- a challenge for me that I found was that uh, I had taken on the role of managing all my sister's supports and um, there was lots of conflicts that were coming up. So what was happening was I wasn't able to be the sibling. I was like the support manager and my sister was coming to me with all these problems and all, all of our conversations were about support issues. Huh. So it was really challenging to be, you know, mm-hmm. in a, sibling relationship. Um, so one of the things that's specifically been helpful for me and in our situation is, um, putting, uh, you know, having someone in that kind of, uh, support manager type role so that they can talk about those things with my sister. And then I can talk on a high level with that support manager about some of the things. Okay. And then my sister and I can have a sibling relationship. Okay. So you kind of brought it back down to, I'm not the manager of your life. I am your brother. Right. And so oh, that, that's, that's good stuff because I mean, I know for myself as the common law employer, I'm the person who manages all the staff and all that stuff. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh, I, my son is living with his best buddy in uh, his best friend in my old condo and I haven't seen him in five days. And it's like, oh, you know what? I'd like to, I'd like, whoops. I'd like to see my son. I miss him. <laughs> yeah. And so um it's, it is like, how do you, you want to have the, the typical relationship that you'd have with the person, but then you also have this management role. So good for you that you were able to sort of parse it out. Um, yeah. Cause that's, that's in the end, it's, it's my sister, it's my brother, it's my son, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and I, I also get that, like, it's a privilege to be able to do that. Like not everybody has access to that type of support or structure. But, um, but that's one thing that was kind of helpful for me and, and 
the relationship that my sister and I have. Yeah. And yeah, because you do want to have a relationship that's sort of the way it is, as if nothing were going on without all the other things. Um, other things that keep you strong, keep you going? Yeah. Um, I think I'm like a routine person. Okay. <laughs> so like, I find just, you know, getting exercise, getting good sleep. Um, you know, uh, I, I try to meditate every day. It doesn't always happen, but, um, but those sorts of things, um, have definitely been and eating well, those sorts of things. So when I'm doing those things, I'm usually in pretty good shape, um, kind of emotionally, mentally, physically. Okay. Okay. That's, that's kind of 101, you know, but I think it's so easily falls off the the chart that it's like you have to keep kind of coming back to it um yeah <laughs> life goal um so <laughs> <what>? <laughs> so something what's something that you're kind of proudest of at this point as you're on this path yeah um well i i think i'm you know there's lots of things that i'm proud of i'm super proud of my mom and my sister for how they have learned and grown over the last, you know, six or seven years. And um, I guess how my sister has just continually been more open and to change and to adapt and uh, to learn and to grow. Um, I'm pretty proud of, I guess, just uh, like empowering ability in general and where that's gone. So I've been able to serve now over 500 families through um, through my courses. Um, so I have a, a life planning course. So I've had over 500 families join that. And mm -hmm. just seeing the impact that that's had of, of families shifting from that uh, lens of, okay, my loved one has to be doing the special things and that's the only option to now seeing that awesome ordinary life path with you know more ordinary relationships, growing their capability, you know, um, some folks even going to the point of creating a, a home with their loved one, creating a home of their own, those sorts of things. Um, I'm super proud of that. And, and you should be, I, I really have done some of your stuff and printed out your stuff and watched your stuff and listened to your stuff. And it's, it is really, um, it just gives you the sense to me anyway, that it's, it's possible it's, it's work, but there's a, there's thinking about these steps and a kind of seeing where you are along the way and continuing to, to pursue that goal, you know? Um, and I love the fact that it's an awesome ordinary life because an ordinary life is attainable. You know, it's not saying it has to be spectacular. It has to be good, you know? And that takes a bit of extra work. And I, I know I love that you're able to give us some tools to help with that. And so as I'm thinking about this, as we're sort of finishing up here, I think um, the question I normally ask is what resources do you recommend? And I'm going to assume you'd recommend your site, but if someone jumps on there, where, where do you think they should, should start? How do they get the most from your site? You think from an yeah. empoweringability.org? Yeah. Thank you for uh, sharing that. Jerry. So, you know, if you go to the, go to the website, um, just download one of the free guides guides. So I think the one that I have up there right now is the 12, uh, 12 top secret tips, uh, to independence. And those tips have, have come from families that I've worked with. So 
they're directly from the source. Um, so I, I recommend just downloading that and then you'd be on my email list. And then uh, whenever I do a free workshop, things like that, then I'll send it out to you and, um, and you'll, you'll get access to that. So that'd be a good, uh, good starting point. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Is there, did I forget anything? Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Yeah. Well, one thing that I've been thinking about today is, you know, knowing we're going to enter this conversation around the topic of siblings and you, we kind of touched on it earlier that often the conversations kind of go unsaid, right? I think you asked me that question and yeah, yeah. kind of talked about it a little bit. And um, I've, a couple of years ago, I was working with um, some other siblings doing some work, some sibling work. So we actually created a course for siblings and it's now transformed into um, what's called Siblings Canada. And um, so I'm not involved with the organization anymore, but just through conversations with hundreds and hundreds of, of siblings, that conversation does go unspoken. And I know not every family has kind of those other neurotypical sibling or siblings that are that are there or engaged. But I think it's just so important that we have those conversations because if they go, if it goes unsaid and there's just assumptions on both sides, it creates this kind of tension or maybe even animosity or resentment. Um, so I think it's really important that, that we find ways to have those conversations. And I know different cultures are, are different um, based on, you know, our, our backgrounds and kind of our family beliefs, those sorts of things. But I would invite parents to invite in other people rather than say, this is the role you're going to play. Because most of the siblings I've talked to don't want to play the role that mom's playing or the role that dad's playing, right? And that might well, feel heavy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I invite parents to invite <laughs> other people in rather than maybe tell them what to do. And um, I think the other, the other quick thing I wanted to mention was I decided to focus my time and energy working more with parents than siblings, even though I am a, a sibling, because siblings, what I learned by working with siblings is that they're like, I only have so much influence, right? You know, it's often mom that's, that's in that leadership role and I can do all that I can to try and influence, but there's only so much that I can actually do. So I found, you know, focusing my work with parents, specifically mom, has been a lot more effective way to create change um, and to help people develop disabilities to live a more awesome, ordinary life. So, and I guess one thing that I see is when, when parents are uh, doing that work, doing that thinking, doing that learning, creating a life plan, that relieves a lot of stress from other people, such as siblings that might be like, well, what happens mom or dad are no longer there, right? Yeah. If, if there's a plan being built and um, that's a great opportunity to have conversation with other you know, siblings and to, and to invite them into that, that process. Um, so just some food for thought. For, I think that's for folks a listening. really good snack because it is important to, I think for, for families often, we don't know, is it too soon to start this conversation? What am I supposed to say? And it's like, you know what, we are like, this is the path. It's like if my little railroad tracks, it's like, there's a third path too. 
that this sibling who's living their life mm-hmm. and doing what they're doing, and I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, I'm just building my own life. And then there's this other, you know, kind of conversation that needs to be had, especially like yourself. I have two children. My son has an older sister. And so we started having, I said, I like, you know, I'd like, she's in the Navy. She's married. She has a child. It's like, yeah. um, you know, I, I think, well, what do you need to know while you're living this great, big, crazy life of your own, you know, but I, and I always kind of say to her, you know, I, I'm not going to make you do anything. I don't want Nick living in your basement, you know, but right. I do feel like it is, it's something that I want you to just kind of, you know, know what's going on. And this is what this looks like. And, and, and to not say you don't have to do anything right now, but I do want you to know what's going on. And so I'm, you know, I'll be jumping on the site to learn more about how, you know, and other sites too, I'm sure to learn about how to have that conversation and keep continue to ease into it and, and invite the conversation. Um, because it isn't just thou shalt take care of thy brother. When I am, I meet my reward. It's more like, well, how do we do this? You know? Yeah. And it's, it's big thing. It's big stuff. I can't, I can't, right. I can't hear enough about it personally. And so I'm thrilled to have another place to go and, and have the conversation and look up the stuff and get us thinking on our end, you know? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, so, it's awesome that you're thinking that way, right? Oh and God. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's, it's a, it's a hard, maybe it feels like such a hard conversation to enter into, right? Like it just feels heavy and there's a lot of emotions built into it. But I think, you know, if we think about, well, what if we don't have the conversation? What are the consequences of not having the conversation? And I think for siblings, and some siblings have lived through the experience of never having the conversation, right? Now that sibling's older, they they have their own family, right? So you just mentioned, right? Like yeah. your daughter has her own kids, her own family, busy life, yeah. right? Now, what happens if we fast forward, you know, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years, right? Now mom and dad are old. Now that sibling's trying to provide care for aging parents. Now they're, well, yeah. what do we do with our, how do we support our brother? How do we support our kids, right? It's yeah. like, and how do I keep my job? <laughs> for sandwich generation, you know, yeah, exactly. plus extra tomatoes. And so, yeah, it's, it is, I think that's a really important point that start early, start small, but do start, you know? Yeah. Don't make believe there's no nothing to think about, talk about, uh, because you'd just rather not, or because you're afraid to, well, yeah. you know, put your toe in the water and, and see how the water's going. And so, ha, huh, it's it is tons of food for thought, and that's why I really um, keep thinking about the sibling voice. And and we had a sibling on last season, and I'm so glad that you were able to come um, and speak to both the resources that you provide and the experience that you had and continue to have. And so. You know, I, I wish you the best, and I thank you so much for uh, coming on the sh- on my little show today, um, for for sharing your story, for introducing us to Sarah, for introducing us to EmpoweringAbility.org, and so everybody out there, I hope that you will all jump on EmpoweringAbility.org wherever you are on the path. You know, Jerry, Before. thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. It was a real pleasure. So thank you so much. Great, and. To my listeners, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on our Parallel Paths today. I hope that you will like and subscribe to our podcast. Tell your friends we're here. And I really hope that you will return 
to listen and learn from more stories of people like you and me and our loved one with a disability on our parallel paths. I'll see you next time.